Good evening, Canes fans, and welcome into the ninth episode of The Rod, the podcast. And I hope you're just as excited as we are. This is the Hey, Hey, What Do You Say? John Forslund interview. We are pumped to have John on later. But before we get to that, um, we were a little starved for content until we weren't. Uh, Canes announced today the Andrei Svechnikov deal. Uh, eight years, uh, 7.75 per, 62 million total. Biggest deal in franchise history. Mike, good to see you again tonight. Tell me your reaction to the Festikov deal. It was worth the wait. Obviously, you and I have talked. You don't love the the stalling on a contract for a guy that you know you're going to have as a cornerstone of your franchise for a long time. I said it all along. What mattered was the term. If they were able to ink an eight-year term, that was going to be a massive win for the franchise. And they've done it. And they've done it at a fantastic dollar value, in my opinion. I think this contract has the opportunity to look like the David Posternock contract down the road. Probably won't get quite to the Nathan McKinnon level. That's, Hope it does. Uh, that's, that, would be in, that, would be, that would be a huge, huge, huge win if it were to get to that level. But as is, huge win, exciting day for the Canes. It's a guy that you want in your organization for a million different reasons. Yeah, Andre Svechikov is, you know, for all intents and purposes, the, the franchise player um, other than Sebastian Ajo. First guy drafted under the, the Tom Dundon regime. Um, I am exceptionally surprised that they got him in under eight. I mean, you look at the, you know, younger players. Most of them have been defensemen recently, but signed around the year, signed throughout this offseason. His comparables, you know, none of them are at this rate. And I know we had speculated off air, you know, before his his down season in 2021, um, that the number might be a 10. You know, the first did, you know, 10. We would be point, okay yeah, with and, it. And we were yeah. fine with it. This is a godsend of a contract and you know part of me is a little little salty based on our, our previous episodes that the organization managed to, to swindle another team-friendly deal again um, but I am ecstatic to have uh, Svetch here for the next eight years and you know he's going to have the opportunity because uh, this I believe tolls when he's uh, 29 years old to sign another uh, a long extension where I hope keeps him in Carolina for his entire career I don't think this could be painted as anything other than a victory for the team. Another outstanding job by Don Waddell. And, you know, it leaves you with some cap space to play with, too. Um, I, I still think we're a, a top six forward away, but this goes a long way to, uh, you know, solidifying your core moving forward. I think it sets a good precedent for the the Natchez contract coming next offseason, uh, maybe even the Trocheck deal. Um, really exciting times. And, and I'm glad it got done. I'm glad it got done before camp. Um I'm not sure they're done this offseason, but we have to be ecstatic. Yeah, absolutely. And like you mentioned, the four million, roughly a little a little over four million left in cap space. And that's including having Jake Cardner on the roster. So if that becomes an LTIR situation or if that becomes a trade, um, if you end up if the like we've discussed, there's potential that they could maybe look to flip Nino and upgrade in the top six. Um we kind of like where we're at in the bottom six because you really want to have uh, a strong top six. Whenever you have Jordan Stahl anchoring your third line with guys that know how to check, you're already good there. And the depth we have in the organization, you have to like the fourth line. So like we've said, the glaring need is 
to improve your second line and they have the ability to do so we'll see if and when they decide to do so yeah i know you've made this point and we want it to happen now i I want this team to be you know basically solidified entering the year but i think where i kind of lose perspective sometimes is just and I, i shouldn't because i've seen it in pro sports but the lineup you enter day one is never the lineup at the last game of the season. And so there are opportunities throughout the season via, via trades and, and up until the deadline to, to really augment the roster and, and maybe bring in a little more firepower. But I think as is we're, we're pretty, you know, we're quietly confident in this team. I'm of the belief it's not as good on paper, but I still think it's a playoff team uh, assuming, you know, calamity doesn't strike or injuries and, or guys just don't perform. But with, with Svech, getting signed I think that maybe weighed on him last year I know there's been rumors of injury but this guy by every analytic metric it, it, it this contract is heavily in favor of the team and and that's okay I mean he signed it no no one forced him to and we're just thrilled to have him but when you look at the analytics on Svetch, you know he's you know in the hundredth percentile of offense play offensive play driver if some of that you know, analytical performance transitions into tangible point production. You're talking about one of the best, you know, handful of players in the entire league. And I think people have felt that's within his range of possibilities. I know you and I feel that way. Um, He's a special kid. Obviously the organization loves him and we're thrilled to have him for the next at least eight years. Yep. And like you said, the offensive play driving is there already. The points are going to come. They're already there. They're yeah, gonna, there are, the totals sure. are going to be higher. He's going to have 100-point seasons without a doubt in my mind. He can improve, obviously, a little bit on the defensive side. Um, the penalties and stuff are areas. But you're looking at a 21-year-old that's going to naturally mature just over time. And every season, like we're never going to we're never going to see last season again. And last season wasn't even a bad season. So... I think when the organization reflects upon his career, they're going to be pumped that he had a quote unquote down year last year. Um, because as we've alluded to, we thought the number was going to be significantly higher. Hey, if this is just a bump in the road performance wise, like we think it will be, it'll, you know, an aberration as we move forward uh, to have your fr- a franchise cornerstone in at that number gives you so much flexibility. Um, hey, let's get things rolling i'm kind of ready for the season to start and um any last comments on that no i think it's time to uh get our feet wet here sure as and as we alluded to um special guest tonight uh, first time we've been able to bring uh, a guest onto the the podcast um let's turn on that john forslund interview and we hope you guys will enjoy it as much as we did as we teased earlier, uh, we are proud to welcome in our, our very very first interview on the podcast and I'm not sure we could start it out much better. We are proud to welcome Kane's legend, John Forslund. How you doing tonight, John? I'm great, guys. And uh, I hope I live up to the buildup here. You know, it's a lot of pressure you put on me, but um, I, I wish you guys all the best. I, I've been listening to some of your work, and I, I respect it and enjoy it. And uh, we'll have some fun tonight. I look forward to this. You know, um, as we talked about before we got going, um, if you guys have been listening to the pod, you, you know, I played um, professional baseball for a while. And one of my biggest regrets in my career is and if you know anything about John, he, he spends his summers in Maine and the Red Sox double A team is based out of Portland, Maine. My, my massive regret for my career is 
um, not reaching out to John to, to invite him to a Portland Sea Dogs game. And, you know, I don't know what it was. Maybe I just did not have the confidence, but um, I, I really regret it. Well, that's okay because I was there. <laughs> you didn't have to. And um, I, I'm, I'm almost 100% sure I saw you play there. And, um, and, and many who have come through that organization matriculated on and, and so on. Great atmosphere. I'm a huge baseball fan. Uh, but with, with our kids, we would make it a point to go at least once a summer, many times twice a summer. Um, Hadlock Field, as you know, is a remarkable, remarkable place for minor league baseball. It has, uh, you know, the, the, the feeling of, uh, of, of the old. They've integrated some of the new. Um, and it has a Red Sox feel to it too, uh, all the way around. So it's, uh, it's great. It's great to be with you, Jordan. And, um, um, I, I think you should, uh, again, people that listen to this should understand that, uh, to get an opportunity to play at any level professionally, it's very special. So uh, I respect the heck out of you for that, for sure. Well, I, I appreciate it. And you hit the nail on the head. Uh, playing in Portland in general, Hadlock Field, it's a, it's a tremendous experience, but, to get into the, the cane centric part, part of this discussion, yeah. um, we're going to start with the softball. Uh, what's it like to work with Trip Tracy and does his on-air personality uh, <laughs> differ from, from how he is in real life? No, what you see is what you get and, and what you saw and what you got from the two of us together um, was exactly as we are. If you guys were to go out to dinner with us or go to a ball game or just, you know, just get together on, on, on the front porch. Um, that's who we are. So, uh, you know, Tripp came into my life in 1998. I came into his. Uh, he came into his position without any experience whatsoever. It doesn't mean you can't do the job. He's proven that. Um, and But I think along the way, what I was able to prove to him was you got to be yourself in this business. And I said, you just be Tripp and I'll be John, and we'll just see how it plays out over the air. And I'm very proud of what we did here for 23 years, I think it was. And um, I, I, I cherish the moments. I have a lot of memories with him on the air, but most importantly, off the air. Uh, when you travel together, uh, you can relate to this. When you travel as a team, when you travel as a group, uh, that camaraderie is built in. And there are memories that you have of, of things that are pretty trite and trivial that, you know, are, are some of the greatest memories you'll have aside from what we did professionally on the air. And, of course, the team gave us so many great memories and so many unbelievable moments. But I don't think any duo, any broadcast team in the NHL has had the highs and the lows that we had over those 23 years, right? Because it, it was either feast or famine. We were either in the mix and the team was doing great, and we had these long playoff runs and even a championship, or it was a 10-year drought of nothing. And we were trying to uh, tell a story uh, from game one to 82 of a journey of a team that wasn't good enough, but had whatever message attached to it that the fans needed to hear. And that's, I think, what I'm most proud of, along with those high moments uh, with the hurricanes is, uh, are the dead years, the, the down years, the challenging years. Uh, to me as a broadcaster, you're maintaining a fan base's hope along the way. That's your job. I think we did it and it's due in large part through our chemistry together. And, um, he's a good man. I wish him all the best moving forward. I know that he's, uh, 
He's a he's a huge caniac, as he likes to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And one of the one of the best things about you guys as a tandem was watching you real trip in when you start to go a little towards the deep end. I think that's yeah. something that all Canes fans can relate to. And it was, it was so natural and it was just so fun. Like I know from myself and all my friends and family that are Canes fans, we'd sit there and you would just smile along because it felt like we were just in the booth with you guys watching the game. And it was really something that was awesome to behold. No, I was just going to say how much I appreciate that because that, that is a, that's a great thing to know that that kind of um, got through. And, and, and because of that, that's very rewarding as a broadcaster to hear that. And, and secondly, what I will say is that if you guys, again, were at a restaurant with us, uh, on the plane with us, uh, standing around the rink, um, watching practice, um, he would say something off the wall and I, I give it to him. And, uh, and, you know, but it, but it's, it's real good friends. You know, because I had that trust that I could do that without him being offended. Because I do respect, you know, his um, knowledge of the game and his want to get better uh, and his personality. He's a wonderful guy. So all those things. And then he, you know, he had to deal with me, too. I'm not the easiest guy at times. I have high standards. Um, I I took, uh, you know, wins and losses hard. Uh, when the team was struggling, you know, I, I, I took it hard. If, if it, if it wasn't registering the right way over the air, I let him know it. Um, I could be, he calls me the moody blues and I think that's his idea on his phone for me or was, um, That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. And, and I can be that way. Like I, I can, I'm not temperamental, but I can be, uh, when we needed to tighten up, when we needed to be better in my opinion, you know, I would, I would feel that way even about myself. I would, I'm very hard on myself. Like I, 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 um, I'm very self-critical and I think that's really important in, in what you do. So anyway, I appreciate you saying that because that, that would be the goal of, uh, getting true to the fan base and kind of being that conduit between the team and the fans and what we do. And it, it's all part of the fan experience. And again, I'm very proud of it here. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that was, you know, reflected, you know, not just here in Carolina, but uh, across the league. And obviously uh, in your last year together, the athletic named you guys, the the number one team in the NHL. And I think all of us here would agree with that. But the thing I really want to touch on is you said your, your proudest moment was the work you guys did through the lean years. And as we spoke before we started recording, I think for me that that speaks to to my Canes fandom because as I mentioned, I, I didn't start out as a you know come from a hockey family, and so your ability to tell a story and you know Trip obviously playing a big role in that, but your ability to tell a story and teach the game when the on ice on ice product wasn't where it needed to be kept me coming back. It played such a critical role. Um, in where I am today with my relationship with the team. And, and I think for me, that's why it was so difficult uh, to see where the negotiations went. And if you don't mind, uh, can you just to talk about, did you anticipate the negotiations going that way? I know it's a difficult subject, but please share as much as you will. Okay, I, I will. And, and the one thing I'd like to say, because I think it will clear up, uh, misconception or some of the things that are out there is, is the term negotiation. There was none. And to me, that is the, the most disappointing thing about the, the, uh, breakup or the separation, um, basically 
my my did ending with the hurricane is that it was it wasn't a it wasn't a negotiation um there's been speculation by fans and i think you know they they really don't know what goes on and really people in the media you know they they asked a few questions but i i didn't feel that at the time it needed to be said um but it, there wasn't any negotiation it it was a it was a proposal that was wasn't workable for my family and that's the only reason i'm no longer a member of the hurricanes i can't answer as to the why that would be for them um but i knew when they presented that and it was in and around the beginning of the the pandemic which obviously we're still in but it it was a it was a proposal that um would put my family at risk really and and so i couldn't do it i was like okay I, I can't do this, and and I have representation, and my agent um, tried to go back at them and and talk about you know if we're talking about a a pay cut you know because of the pandemic we can obviously live with that everybody did um, maybe there's a way to make this work they really wasn't an appetite so for whatever reason um, they had decided or, or Tom had decided that you know it was it was time and, and maybe where I was at was was too much for him with his the the budget that he has for his for his staff um but i can tell you this that that where i was at with my salary was in in tune with everyone else in the national hockey league that does what i what i do uh with respect to the market um it wasn't overboard it wasn't you know i wasn't underpaid i wasn't overpaid i was right where i was supposed to be because it was negotiated with don in 2017 and frozen and so in 19 when my deal came up it was difficult um but i was given a one-year deal and i was hoping just for years i didn't want to go north on my salary uh that blew up there were a couple of promises made that didn't come didn't come true uh in that that fall once the uh, players and the in the league came to a resolution on the cba i was just worried about my future um in, in terms of uh years and the term of the contract I was okay where I was at. I, I was comfortable here, loved it here, uh, had my national work, everything was good. And then in the spring of, uh, or early summer of 2020, the whole thing blew up. And, um, and anyway, I had to do what I had to do. It was very difficult, um, to, um, to, to have it happen, but it wasn't a difficult decision because there was no decision. So I'm being as honest as I can be. And I say this because I want everyone to understand that in business, they make decisions and I make decisions, and everybody's good for it. They're going to be great for it moving forward. I'm unbelievably great for it moving forward. I was able to be in a real good slot with NBC. I was able to get offered a couple of gigs, one with Tampa that I refused in early November, and luckily the Seattle opportunity came to me in and around the holidays, and it's a it's a long-term deal, and, and you know I'm completely energized by the fact that I get to do this again. I get to mark time with a franchise for the second time in my career. Most broadcasters don't get that opportunity, so that's basically it. If there's you know is there is there um, a little bit of an ill feeling as far as I'm concerned? Of course there is. I mean, I was there for a long time from day one. I I I love the Hurricanes. I love the job. I love the market. I love the fans. Uh, didn't have to end, but it did. And uh, and someday, you know, maybe everybody will be honest as to why it had to happen. But um, I basically think it was just a situation where either a they didn't want me anymore. I don't think that was the case. Or b 
um, I didn't fit. I didn't fit their their plan, their business plan. And if that's the case, uh, they were as bluntly honest as they could be, and I made my choice. So I'm honest with you guys. That's what happened, and um, and we all move forward. You know, we, we truly appreciate your transparency on that. And, and before I kind of get into my follow-up, um, I, I know I speak for Mike uh, and myself and, and all of the Canes community that we, we are thrilled, you know, not that you're gone, of course, but for you to have that opportunity in Seattle and what a unique opportunity to, to be the voice of a new franchise twice. And they, they couldn't have anyone better. My, my follow-up to, to what you just presented us is, is it kind of known that negotiations are going to be difficult with this organization? It, or lack of negotiations. Exactly. In your situation, because you did negotiate the, the one-year deal before, but is that known? Like, do the players understand that? Like, is it, does it seep through all parts of the organization? Cause as a former pro that would be concerning to me. And that's what I expressed on a previous pot. Yeah. And, and the one in 19 wasn't a negotiation either. It was really a take it or leave it. And I did with, with the hope that I would be extended in, in the early portion of the 1920 season. And that promise never came to fruition. And those promises, as you know, are, are often made and doesn't mean that management has to act on it. That's their right, right? So uh, they may say things and, and lead you down a road, but they don't have to. So that's their right, and they did. So then we played it out, and then, you know, March 12th or 13th came a, came about, and uh, every, the whole world went on hold, and so did I. And then, uh, you know, nothing till the middle of June when uh, my contract expired on June 30th. So that's basically the timeline. But I think for whatever reason, uh, it is uh, a method or it is the way they do business. Um, I, I will say this, that, you know, I understand everything that um, Tom says about putting everything into what happens on the ice. Why wouldn't you? Um, that is important. That's what your fans want. That's good to hear, especially for an owner of a small market team to have that kind of financial commitment. But I, I will say this, that I think in every case, in every case, with every person, no matter if you're support staff, front office, coaches, trainers, and the players, um, he has an idea of where he wants to go, and that's it. And um, and that and that's okay because it, it's working in some ways, in some ways it isn't. And we'll see. We'll see what happens, you know, moving down the road here. But uh, there have been a lot of decisions, and I think uh, what I like about this market is, and you guys are a big part of it, um, the fans aren't, aren't aren't ignorant, right? Fans are not ignorant here to what's going on. They pay attention. They see it. They see trends. They see things happening. So uh, the proof is in the pudding. And uh, at the end of the day, it is about, you know, winning. That's the most important thing. Um, I, I, I appreciate my role. I appreciate that I was given that long of an opportunity, and obviously not with him. I only, you know, worked for him for three years, Um or the better part of three years, I guess it would be. But I mean, you know, I was very lucky to be in one place. And, and as far as I'm concerned, <clears throat> longevity in this business, and especially with one franchise, is really something special. That was my hope. Um, but now that that's gone, I've had this great awakening now, realizing what I'm about to do and about to and, and about to embark on in Seattle. And I think this has all happened for a reason. So no pity party here. Everything is good. Um, I'm 100%, and I can't wait to get going you know, with the Kraken. 
Yeah, it, it really is a terrific opportunity. And I, I think the last thing I'll comment I'll make on the organization is, yeah, it works and you can act like the smartest person in the room uh, And when you're winning. Uh, unfortunately, as you've seen in this market, if they don't continue to win and you haven't invested in good people, because you got to pay good people. And I understand people understand in this market, you know, working for Tom Dundon, that they're, they're not going to get paid the market rate. And they, they've been able to sign some terrific contracts. I get all that. But as soon as the tide turns and you're, you know, the ledger is, is more in the, the losses column than the wins and they're no longer going to the playoffs. This this market, you needed someone to hold the team up. And for for me, that that was you and Trip. Um, so that's the last thing I'll say on that. Um, just know how appreciative we are. And, and now let, let's pick it up, pivot over to something a little more, um, you know, exciting. Tell, tell us about what's going on in Seattle and, and kind of how you envision, you know, growing the, the brand there. It's been a, a dormant hockey market. Um, how, how's that going for you? It's going great. And I think the thing about the Kraken is, uh, if you've watched closely and you will see now when the season starts, is this starts to play out they're they're committed to be a model franchise in in a variety of ways and it's not necessarily all about you know the team that's the most important thing but there's other things um there's other messages that they're trying to send out as an organization which i think are really refreshing i think fits uh the area of the country uh the expansion uh ideal you know, about being the newest team in the league and okay, we're not going to, we're going to break down some barriers with hires. We're going to break down some barriers with, you know, the approach to the team or the analytical department. You know, there's a lot of things that are really interesting. And uh, again, like, like we all know in sports, it's about wins and losses. And the only time people care is if you win. So the proof will be, you know, how successful they are in terms of that. But in terms of what they have now, I like what, Ron did in the expansion draft. I think it's a really, really sleepy good team in a division where they're going to have an opportunity to make some noise and hopefully play some winning hockey or, or, or um, relevant hockey in February and March. Keep those fans, you know, pointed at the direction of a playoff spot. That would be great. Um, but the building, I can tell you this, guys, the building is is the best building in the world. It really has to be. I mean, I, I was, I was given a 90 minute tour in July. Obviously it's not finished yet. Um, but I cannot believe, you know, what, what amenities are in this building and what the fan experience is going to be like. Um, I've seen every building in the NHL, obviously many of them are dual facilities for the NBA and the NHL. I haven't seen the buildings that are strictly NBA venues. But I can tell you this, they're not going to approach this building. The Climate Pledge Arena is spectacular. And uh, and I think the team will grow, and I think there'll be a niche there. Uh, there'll be like a cult following, and the colors are cool. Some people really love the name. Some people don't get the name. But there's a mystique about it. you know. And then there's Seattle, right? And then there's this, this mystique of their fans. It'll be similar to what we have here. Um, you know, the fans will be really, really passionate. Uh, you look at the Seahawks, the soccer team, the Mariners are okay, but, you know, they, they've been kind of a an enigma over the years as a franchise. But I've been to their ballpark. I was there in July. It's a fabulous, fabulous facility. Do a great job with it. But I look at the Seahawks and the way that 12th man mentality has, has evolved over the years with that team. 
And I see that happening with the NHL. And it's a market, too, that's in tune with hockey. They've had major junior hockey there for years. They've had some pro experience way back when. But mostly, I think the junior hockey team, the Thunderbirds, has kept hockey in the market and on the front burner with the kids and kids that play it and families and so on. So we're going to a great environment with uh, about 32,000 people on a waiting list for season tickets and a completely sold-out building. So it's going to be lights out. Yeah, that's awesome. And Jordan and I are hoping to be able to make it up to Seattle to uh, see the Canes showdown in the new arena. So, we, we were excited before you said all that. Yeah, now, now it's now on another level. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so hopefully the pandemic will allow us to do that, but yeah. we, will, we will see. Um, with that being said, are you going to continue to do national games now that Disney and Turner Broadcasting have the NHL TV rights, or is it just going to be strictly Kraken from here on out? It might be just Kraken. Um, it's, 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 it's weird. I mean, I, I had hoped to. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's happened here that it's kind of a head scratcher to me, but that's, that's okay. Um, ESPN's a different, um, uh, animal, I think, because they, they intended on going internal with their play-by-play people, which, uh, Steve Levy, Sean McDonough, Leah Hextall, uh, who had done some work for them in the past, um, and others, mostly in their stable that they can cross over from other sports and, just add hockey to their to-do list. I get that. Um, I think if NBC had retained the rights, I was in a, a really good slot there. Um, I hope if the Olympics um, are, are part of the equation here, um, that it will be part of the NBC broadcast of the Olympics with NHL involvement. So I hope that happens, and there's there's a possibility for that. That one conversation with Turner, I, I don't think we're going to get out of the gate with them. Um, um, it's unfortunate. I, I, I was hoping, but they, they've made some decisions there, um, and it's a subjective business. So I'm, I, I have a main focus right now, and I knew this when I elected to sign with Seattle, that I, I really wanted to get back with the team. Um, I did the national stuff for one year, the gap year between the end of the Canes and, and, and this. And quite frankly, it was, it was good. It was income. It was, uh, it was a great opportunity. Um, Sam Flood, the people at NBC are, are great. I love to work for them. I love the direction they had for the NHL. Um, um, but I missed being with a team and I missed that feeling of having a strong connection with the fan base and being able to tell a story from game 182 and hopefully into the playoffs. Um, to me, that's the best reward you can have as a broadcaster. It's nice to do national work. Um, you get a lot of uh, exposure. But you finish the game, and this year, maybe because of the pandemic and so many of the games were in studio and not on site, I just kind of felt generic. I, I felt like, you know, this is okay, but tomorrow I've got Columbus and Tampa Bay. Well, what does it all mean, right? It means something. If you're, if you're telling stories every game directed at a particular fan base, that's when it really means something for me. And uh, my, one of, my career goals were very simple when I started. I wanted to work for one team my entire career. It almost happened, okay? And number two, I wanted a chance to do a Stanley Cup final someday. I was very close. I think I had an excellent chance. It almost happened. It might happen again. Um, I hope I get that opportunity. 
And I've done some, you know, signature games for the league, like all-star games. Um, I've had one outdoor game on my resume. Those things are great. Hopefully that'll happen again. But I really love the team focus. And so maybe for this year, um, I might do some work for, for Turner. And then again, I might not. And that's okay because I really want to focus on this and, and, and delivering, you know, the best possible broadcast we can have. I want a local broadcast with national standards like we had with the Hurricanes, especially at the end. I want to get recognized that way, break in a new partner, um, and, and have some fun. And I think as a, as an announcer, when you, when you, when you broadcast to a fan base, that's the reward you get. You get that, 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 that constant buzz. And I'll tell you this, the one thing that I'm so grateful for from the Caniac Nation is that it, the energy that I felt from the Caniacs gave me the drive to do what I did. And I need to have that again. I'm professionally driven, but national work is kind of, for the most part, pretty generic, okay? And it's, you've got to have a feeling of when you leave the arena, exhilaration. If your team is winning and you're, you're selling that story, that's great. Or if your team is losing, you know, and, I, and like we talked about it at the early stages of this, that's the most rewarding time when uh, people would ask me, geez, what an awful year for the Kings. That must have been hard. And I say, no, that was probably one of the most rewarding seasons because we were able to get to the rookie year of Jacob Slavin, the rookie year of Brett Pesci, the, the early stages of a Noah Hannafin. We were selling that young defense. We were selling the framework of what was about to happen. Um, instead of just throwing our arms up and saying, these are team folks, um, yeah, I don't even know why any of these people want to even watch um, because I'm down, you're down, everybody's down, right? you got to be positive, and if you can transmit that to your audience, your fan base, then that's not only a challenge – but it's very exhilarating. So I'm looking forward to get back to that. So the answer to your question really long-windedly here is I have no idea. And at this point, I'd like to be part of it, but I'm not sure I will be. Sure. And I, I, I totally understand what you're, you're saying. And obviously I never experienced it on the level you're talking about, but you do such a terrific job of telling a story. And I think selfishly, of course we miss you here and we, we will, and that, that hurt will always be there. And, in a way, but I, we always love you being on those national games because it gives us those brief moments to hear you mm-hmm. and, and, you know, remember what we had in some degree. But before we let you get out of here, I got one more kind of kind of silly question. Um, and again, we really do appreciate your time. But as guys getting comfortable behind microphones, you know, I've done a few uh, events on TV and obviously recording here at, with Mike. Uh, do you have a pregame routine? Oh, yeah. I, 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 absolutely. Um, it starts, you know, depending on the opponents and all this, it starts a, a couple of weeks before that game in terms of pre-scouting games. But I do have a regiment that starts the night before with uh, the foundation of my preparation. And then it extends into, um, or the day before, because usually at night I'm watching as many games as possible. And then the day of the game, I'm, I, I get up same time, 365 every day of the year, 5.30 a.m. But during a season, that's when my work starts. And uh, and so anyway, I, I, I start a, a morning uh, session of preparation, which 
uh, takes into account the night before in the league and looking at every game and highlights of every game and keeping a ledger of every team and then looking at general news around the league before I get to the game-specific stuff. Then I get to the game-specific stuff and I start prepping for uh, both teams and that takes me to a point where we're usually, you know, 9 a.m. around there, and that's when I'm on my way, hopefully, to the rink again for morning skate, which we haven't been able to see uh, because of the pandemic for almost two years. Um, but you get to the rink, you watch the two skates, you talk to the players and coaches on both sides, go back either to the hotel or home, uh, finish up a little bit of maybe an hour's worth of work there, um, and I'm hopefully done by 3 for a 7 p.m. game. All my prep is done. I don't like to do anything at the arena. I like to get to the arena about four hours before face-off and get set up and, and, and put some finishing touches on a few things, but basically just get into a, a relaxed mode um, for the game. And then in and around 5 o'clock is when we start our uh, pre-production, uh, voiceover work, uh, uh, you know, uh, an opening tease, maybe a video that I have to voice or whatever. We look at graphics, we rehearse, and then we finally get to the live show. And then, uh, and then it's, uh, you know, wash, rinse, repeat. I mean, you do the same thing the next day. Many times you're doing it the very next day. And in and around that is travel and jumping on an airplane and, uh, trying to stay, uh, hydrated and healthy and, uh, eat the right foods at my stage of my life, which I didn't do when I was younger, but I have to now. Um, so I can keep doing this for a long time because I don't plan on retiring, God willing, anytime soon. Um, I'm hoping for a long stretch here with the Kraken to kind of cap it all off. But uh, I'm lucky because in, the guys in, in my line of work, um, you know, there isn't really a retirement unless you want it to be. Uh, if you get tired of it, you start to fail health-wise. Uh, you just don't have the drive anymore to do the work. Then you get out. But if you're lucky enough, like many have, um, to do it as long as you can until it gets ridiculous, um, then, then you're given that opportunity. And that's what I want to do. It keeps me young, keeps me moving, uh, keeps me excited. Um, and that's what, it, that's what it's all about. So, and God willing, we got a lot more years ahead. Yeah, and the preparation certainly shows in the work. Um, it's something that is easy from our end to appreciate, and you've given us all a lot of memories as Canes fans, and I don't know if you thought up these before, but from the Urbe says no to the hey, hey, what do you say to the that's hockey, baby, did you did you plan those? Were there something you thought yeah. of or the spur of the moment? No, Mike, you know that um, all of them were spur of the moment except for the hey, hey. Um, hey, hey, what do you say? It was for my father. Um, something when I was a, uh, a youth baseball player back in Springfield, Massachusetts, um, he coached. He used to say that. He used to say it if he met you on the street or whatever. It's kind of his deal. Um, he passed away when I was when I was 22. I just started my career uh, as a broadcaster, and I just actually it was the day after or the day of I got my first paycheck. Um, and he was my best friend. And anyway, uh, uh, I had to grow up in a hurry when I was 22 and deal with that. Uh, and I just started a seven year career in the minor leagues as a broadcaster. I didn't know if I would ever make it. Um, and Jordan can, can relate to this. I mean, you, you spend a lot of hours on buses, right? And you mm -hmm. think that's all you do is think. And, uh, um, you know, and, and, and because of that, your, your mind can go different places. And one, one night, 
on a long ride from, I don't know, maybe Hershey back to Springfield, Baltimore back to Springfield, something like that, um, I thought, you know, how can I pay tribute to Dad? And I, I decided to use it on a goal call. And then it was, I think, another year had transpired, and I, I said, you know what, I'm going to use it on a goal call, which defines the game. It's a winning goal, or it's when I think the game's over. And I started to use it. And then when the team got success, my last two seasons in the American Hockey League, they won championships back-to-back. Um, media started to ask me about it. I got more exposure. People were listening on the radio, and they, and they wrote stories about me because I was a local kid doing this for the local team and whatever, and I finally shared that with somebody, and that's the only one. The rest of them were all spur of the moment. Herbe says no. Uh, the Bass Hockey Baby thing just came out one night. Um, and I try to keep them as, as, as original as possible. I think when you think about things, uh, they can get a little hokey maybe. So I try to stay away with that. Um, you know, the, the Kraken opens up endless possibilities, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to keep it, I'm trying to keep it organic. Um, I, I don't want to, you know, a rehearse, release the Kraken or something like that. I think that's kind of, I don't even think I'll use that one, but because many people have already. So mm-hmm. anyway, that's kind of how I do it and uh, try not to overuse them, but I do think it adds a little bit in my, in my personality. It's good for me because it fits the way I'm, well, the way I am. I like to have fun. I like to be energetic. I like to bring passion to it. Uh, and, and, you know, and in, the, in this day and age with Twitter and everything, um, there's going to be people who love you, and there's also going to be people who say, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And I've heard that even about, hey, hey, what do you say? And I know why I do that one, and I just kind of let it go. Yeah. Well, well yeah, John, sure. I, I, I know Mike and I agree. You know, the calls definitely add an added zest and flavor to the game. And what I will say is hear, hearing the story about, hey, hey, what do you say? Um you know, obviously it's going to live in Kane's lore and, and your legacy, but, but knowing the story behind it, j- just, it, it means so much more now. Uh, so once again, three, thanks for your transparency throughout this entire, you know, discussion no and coming on with us and being our, you know, our first interview. Um, again, thank you for all you've done for, you know, the Carolina hurricanes organization. We, we wish you nothing but the best in Seattle. Um, have a great year. Thank you again. And, um, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks well, and, again. And, and, and thank you guys. And the same to both of you. Keep up the great work because I think uh, you care a lot about the team. Fans need to hear opinions and uh, and intellectual ones and well thought out ones. I think you're on your way with that. And um, and I always have a huge place in my heart for for all the Caniacs and for this situation here. It's going to be an interesting an interesting night when we come back in March. Um, that's the next time I walk into the building. It'll be the first time since, uh, uh, 2020. Uh, but it'll be, it'll, it'll be fun. I look forward to it and, uh, I, I love the dialogue and hope to keep it open with the fans, uh, as I move on to Seattle. But thanks again. All the best, John. Thank you again. Thank you. Take care. Mike, I'm, I think my initial takeaway from that interview is, is just, I'm blown away. It, it's wild to hear, um, John, in that capacity after years of hearing him call Kane's games, incredibly impressive guy, super hospitable, um, the ultimate, you know, consummate professional, I, nothing but the the highest things to say about him, uh, not only for his work, but him as a person. And so to have him on here as our first guest, I, I couldn't be more fired up. And I hope you guys uh, enjoyed that interview as much as we did.
Yeah, that, that was that was one of those ones that it's exciting, right? And to hear his perspective on so many different topics and to kind of get to know John a little bit better is just an amazing experience. And we're just really grateful that we had the opportunity to do that and to share that with everyone. No doubt, man. And as you alluded to, just an incredibly special experience, not only for us, but hopefully for our listeners. And um, as always, guys, we, we appreciate you joining us. And uh, we hope this is just a sign of things to come. And hopefully we'll have more um, Carolina Hurricanes guests. But uh, Mike, let them know where to follow us as we head out tonight. You can follow us on Instagram at The Rod The Podcast and on Twitter at The Podcast. We're really looking forward to building out the community so that we can interact with you all and you can interact with us and with each other so that we can really build something special and have an open dialogue and discuss the topics that you guys want to hear and, you know, and grow together. So thank you for your support and we'll see you next week.